filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Uh, weird to say this, but I, I finally visited uh, the United Performance Center in distant uh, Leesburg, Virginia. Um, it wasn't for anything to do with this podcast, but uh, it was interesting to get a look around um, to a certain extent. It's still very much in uh, like it's much like Audi Field was. It's it's open and it's functional. Um, the stuff that needs to work works, but it is still a work in progress. Um, yeah. I was going to say how much, like what percentage of under construction is it right now? Well, I only saw certain areas. I saw the lobby. Uh, I saw, obviously I stood out front of it. Um, I saw the fields. Um, I didn't walk through the food area to get to where I was doing an interview because you would have to walk through uh, the treatment area that the spirit have set up. And that means necessarily walking a man walking in through uh, women getting treatment. It's not really a good situation. So I went around the outside um, and went into a very large um, empty space, basically that the spirit have a lot of their equipment in and, and things like that. Um, they're setting up a lot of stuff uh, in there, but it's definitely, I mean, my understanding is that that's the spirit space. They don't have to, get out of there when dc comes around it's their their area um but it is not super done yet so they have a lot of room to operate in which i think they do appreciate um but yeah it's definitely a vibe the vibe is what you would sense looking at it from the outside which is that it's done enough to be in but it's it's like when you first move into a place and you haven't unpacked any of your boxes like yes the lights are on and your bed is over there um and maybe you've like set the TV up on the this TV stand, but you haven't like right. hit the cords and set your DVDs up or whatever. Um, the bed's not assembled, but the mattress is on the floor where right. the bed it's is going to be. Night. I'm tired from moving yeah. in. I can watch definitely a TV didn't put show. The... I ordered, you know, takeout uh, and I'm going to eat something real quick and watch some right. dumb TV and, and go to bed. That's where you're I'm sleeping. Nice. And you're sleeping under the, the under the comforter, but you were too lazy to put the fitted sheet on the ground mattress? Yeah, you've been moving all day. Um, you don't have time for a fitted sheet. All that, but also it's the size of an airplane hanger? It's very large. Um, oh, that, yeah. that, you know, the, the actual structure goes on for a long time. The fields do look great. Um, I'll, I'll give them that. It is also surrounded by absolutely nothing. Um, I had somebody in my mentions, I posted a photo from the outside and someone was like oh you got to pick a better angle and i was like i don't think i have the capability even if i were a better photographer it's just there is nothing surrounding it except more of the philip bolin park um which looks effectively just the same except some of the structures are brick um and after that you're beyond the like there's a sign that you go past that actually says that you're beyond where the city of leesburg does the um landscape uh 
management program. <laughs> tell, tell me there's a point where it just, the, the grass just stops being mowed and it's very clearly prairie there, from there on. There is a point where the grass has stopped being mowed. It's not super bad. So someone, I, I think someone is taking care of it just less often uh-huh. than the city of Leesburg will. Um, but yeah, it is way out there and it's, it's Leesburg, but it's not actually Leesburg. I think that sign denotes where the actual city line is. Um, it's one of those things like, the zip code is Leesburg because it's the nearest post office rather than it being literally in Leesburg. Um, it's in the census designated area known as Leesburg. Yes. Um, but the important thing is it does exist. They do have fields and stuff like treatment rooms and places for people to eat. Um, and the internet works and all that good stuff. So I saw it. I didn't just see photos of it. Uh, it's real. It's a real place. So that is, that is my major not soccer story and it's really a soccer story when you think about it at all hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the black and red united and places that definitely do exist in real life podcast i'm adam taylor joined by jason anderson our intrepid traveler and ben bromley our intrepid stayer at homer uh we are all from blackandredunited.com where we cover dc united among other teams like the washington spirit this podcast, of course, is about DC United, and tonight we've got a, a win to talk about. DC United beat the New England Revolution 3-2. to two. Later in the show, we will talk about DC United's upcoming trip to the Buckeye State to face the Columbus crew. You can watch that Saturday night at 7.30 on NBC Sports Washington or Teleexitos on your television uh, at dcunited.com or ESPN Plus online. Uh, listen to it on 104.7 Wonk FM or the iHeartRadio app on your device. They're, they feel like this list keeps populating more and more, but I want to make sure That's everyone listening. It, it is a good thing. And I want to make sure everyone knows where they can catch the game because I was driving for part of the last game and it was nice to know that it was available uh, somewhere while I was uh, in transit. Uh, before we talk about anything else, though, Ben, what are you drinking? I headed over to Origin Beer Lab today after work uh, to get a mini growler, um, and I was tempted. They uh, are doing something, I would say, innovative. They have a pumpkin amber ale on tap right now. In, in April? Yeah. In this economy? Yes. Uh, I was tempted. I- did, but but it sounds like you went in another direction. No, I needed something something lighter. I, I went with the um, uh, apricot seltzer. Ah, is what was calling my. So that's what I have today is the apricot seltzer uh, from Origin Beer Lab. It's 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 solid. It's doing doing what it needs to do on a spring evening. Perfectly cromulent apricot seltzer. Exactly. How about you, Jason? Uh, I also have perfectly cromulent. Uh, I've just got a very standard uh, Sam Adams Boston Lager. Um, again, from my liquor store stop at the one that doesn't have a big selection um, while tired. <laughs> yes. um, and I'm also drinking it out of the bottle because I used all of my glassware on pr- the other beers that I bought and cold brew. And I just forgot to run the dishwasher and realized that my options were like coffee mug and rocks glass, which don't work for a beer. I mean, Jason, you say two, I, but they don't. Jason, if you just finish the one beer that you've been drinking for about a year now, like you'll you'll get one of those glasses back, you know. 
I want to again reiterate that uh, uh, all of these beers have been individual beers that I have consumed the entirety of and put the glass bottle in the recycle bin and it was taken away from me over and over again. Also, and additionally, you guys have identified, I think, three or four different types of beer as the same one as the first one. Oh, yeah. And the first mm-hmm. one was a spot in Oktoberfest. Um, and this is, again, uh, Sam Adams Boston Lager. It is a different beer materially as well as a different brand of beer. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying the beer that you were uh, always drinking is just in, still occupying a cup in your house, not that you are currently drinking it. That is also not true. <laughs> Uh, I, I went in a different direction. I, um, I, I'm drinking it out of the wrong kind of glass. I'm drinking it out of a mason jar cup instead of a rocks glass, but I've got a Mezcal Negroni, uh, because Very nice. partly because right. I, right. it, I, it's, it's nice. And partly because while we're living in the apartment, I don't have my full complement of spirits to, to choose from. So, uh, this is what I have. So I've been drinking Mezcal Negronis the last several times I felt like making a drink so uh it's not a bad option to have though i'm not complaining um not complaining about the result on saturday night either uh, the new england revolution scored early and scored late but uh dc united netted three of their own in between those goals did just enough to claim three points against the current supporter shield holders in the first game of the post hernan losada era I'm sure we'll get into that, but the one and only place to start talking about this game is a little guy known as Taxiarchy Spontas. Uh, yeah, he and his two goals and one assist on his first start for the black and red. Um, absolutely. I mean, for a full debut, what what more could you ask for? Yeah. Uh, well, first I want to, you, you mentioned that he's a little guy and I want to congratulate your daughter on uh, potentially finding a new little guy to root for. <laughs> yes, I hadn't even thought of this. I am excited for that now. Yes, yeah, um, we, we we are a family who supports the little guy. Yes, and and you know, I'm sure I'm sure she'll come to discover uh, organically that he is a little guy, and that that's good. That he's he's good and and also little. Um, but yeah, this was this was you know when you spend the money on a designated player this is what every MLS team kind of dreams of is the instant, uh, the instant result is that the guy gets in and is immediately better than your available options and good enough to score a bunch. Um, I think the, the stat flying around was that the last time a player making his first start in MLS did this was Alejandro Pozuelo, um, who ended up in the MVP running that year um, to, to do a two goal, one assist uh, first start. So that is a very big deal. Um, the first goal was a really well-taken goal. Um, the The second goal is really more about power uh, than anything else. He kind of, I, I saw a lot of criticism of Brad Knighton, but I do want to at least put some respect on the fact that uh, Taxi just crushed that ball. Um, crushed the hell does, out of it. Yeah, <laughs> it plays a factor. Like, don't, it's not that he hit a light ball that, that Knighton, uh, you know, didn't catch cleanly and end up guiding into his own goal. It's that taxi overpowered him with this shot. Um, and then the, the assist gives uh, Michael Estrada like the easiest chance uh, maybe of the entire season. Um, I want to talk yeah. about that assist for a second yeah. specifically, because how many times do you see a player in this league or any league get in that position and put it, put the cross to the 
far other side of the box, like completely outside of the box. They just overhit it and it goes over everyone. And Fontas just put it exactly where it needed to go. It was a, it, it was a perfect, uh, I'm not going to make a taxi pun here, but it was, it was a perfect cross and it's not perfect one that service. I'm just so used to not seeing that, that mm-hmm. when it actually happened, I was kind of like taken aback because it was and, just, he made it look so easy and it was correct. And, and the result of a, a really well-worked combination uh, with Julian Gressel where um, Taxi saw, you know, Taxi went into that combination knowing not just what he wanted to do with Gressel, but like what the outcome was going to be. Like you can see him, the, the team posted um, their, their game day video package um, that is, is pretty entertaining to watch. Um, but you can see there's an angle from behind the goal where you can see him very like urgently gesturing um, uh, uh, to what he wants to happen way in advance of all of this stuff, which is really cool. Um, so it's, it's, I think Matt Doyle talked about this, uh, on his, his Monday column where he talked about how taxi, what taxi did really well is just pass and move. Um, and it's not more complicated than that. He just moves extremely well. He goes exactly where he needs to, and he knows where he's going to go before the defenders figure it out. Um, and when he passes, he passes to where the ball needs to go. Um, whether that's his pass to Gressel, meaning that Gressel can one time the ball into back into his path rather than having to take a touch and adjust his body position. Um, and that cross to Estrada, like I said, he didn't have to, like, he basically just had to physically exist and get to the spot. He didn't have to do anything else to make that one go in. Um, if he had not been paying attention and had like, made his run and started looking into the crowd, the ball would have struck him and gone into the goal. Um, And just doing those simple things really well over and over again, that's how you win at soccer. Like I know we love um, that first goal because it's, it's a trickier finish. um, But if he's just able to do these simple things faster than the opponent can figure out what's going to happen, he's going to be effective, um, which is kind of going back to something that I argued very early on, which is that when you think of who he's coming in um, and what he's replacing within the roster, this is the Paul Areola thing, um, yep. except he's more technically clean uh, and I think sees the game faster than Areola. He, I don't think he's as physically as fast as Areola. I, don't, I think he's giving something away in terms of athleticism, um, but his vision, uh, watching the person, his vision for where to go, um, it reminded me a little bit of if you if any of our listeners have been watching um, the Chicago Red Stars, if you watch Mal Pugh, um, her superpower as a player has always been knowing where to go. Um, she's very good at a lot of other things, but the thing that makes her so good is she just knows where to go before other people have figured out where she has decided to go. Um, and Taxi does that same thing. Um, and that's it's huge. It, it clearly unlocked something in the team that has been missing that we kind of we knew was going to be if he's if he's the player that they paid for then we knew that that was a thing that would be unlocked and it's good to see that he clearly is that player um, because these were mental decisions and and technical proficiency that I don't think these are flashes in the pan this is not one nice night and then we see a regression this is um, this is not a Rafael Gladiador hits one banger and then Ugh. is never heard from again. This, this was him. Yeah, this was, and you could see it throughout the night in the other things he was doing. Um, the stuff that doesn't garner goals and assists and headlines, 
Um, he just plays, he plays a simple game really, really well. And that is, like you said, and that's repeatable. Um, the fact that Julian Gressel, I, I feel like there's something, there's a pattern here with Gressel where when you put a really top player in the lineup with Gressel, that player tends to seek out Gressel very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like Wayne Rooney and Lucho Acosta, they just sort of immediately were like, okay, this is my guy. This is how, this is someone I need to connect with and, and, and can connect with very quickly. And at least to me, it seemed like Taxi and Gressel had that connection. After the game, Chad Ashton and Gressel both said that they ascribed a lot of it to the shared language uh, of speaking German. Um, but I think it went beyond that, um, that there's an understanding level that's just, it was very quick. Um, this is something that probably, they probably saw this at the first training session by the mm-hmm. end of it. They were like, it's already happening, um, yeah. which is huge for DC because, you know, Gressel's season so far has been not bad, but not what we expected. Um, and, you know, if DC is going to be good, he needs to be good. And it seems like this connection is the kind of thing that will allow him to take that um, step up to where um, he's even said uh, that he feels like he could have been better this season. And I think this is the kind of thing that can help him make that jump back up to where he belongs, because that is the caliber of player he is. Yeah, I think one thing about Gressel that maybe gets underrated is he sees the game at a very high level. He -hmm. understands what's happening and he reads what's going to happen uh, really well. I think he, one of the revelations about his game for me since he moved to wing back has been his ability to jump up and make interceptions um, when the other team is just playing the ball around the outside, basically, or, you know, 40 yards from goal and trying to just set up a matchup on the outside, he'll jump the passing lane and trigger a counterattack or, you know, just turn over possession. Um, but he sometimes does it not only grabs the, the ball, but makes a pass with the first or the second touch on it uh, to, to spring somebody into space. He just, he, he understands where all the pieces are and what the angles are and, you know, you could see it in the pass he made to Taxi on mm-hmm. the second goal, Taxi's assist. Um, not everyone sees that that Funtas, who who you said is not the fastest guy in the world, but he has the angle to cut out two guys with a, this off-the-ball run. And all you have to do is put the weighted ball into space and let him run onto it before it gets to the end line. And Gressel nailed it. He did it <laughs> perfectly. I don't know if he got the secondary assist for that, um, but... You know, he he. I think certainly deserves some credit for that that goal buildup, and I think it's emblematic of of how he sees the game and the level at which his brain is working. He did uh, get I the think, secondary. Yeah, they listed him. He That's did good. mention on um, Z Soccer Pod that he was putting some money in the fund because he got an assist. So um, if he's put the money up, I feel like that makes it official for our purposes, if not for it, Opta's purposes. But it sounds it's like good Opta, enough for me. Yeah, Opta <laughs> stuck with it as well. Yes, they did. So it, the game wasn't all sunshine and roses and taxis. Um, United came out of the gate weirdly flat, I thought, especially mm-hmm. for everything that happened during the previous week with Losada leaving and Ashton coming in, the fan protest. Maybe the fan protest, the boycott of the game contributed. I don't, I don't know. But the, they came out of the gate a little bit slower than you might expect. I was expecting something closer to hair on fire. And mm-hmm. it, it wasn't that until... New England scored and then it kind of woke him up a little bit. Yeah. But, I was I was wondering if maybe it's like 
it's from from the reporting that's out there, Hernan Losada's uh, like uh, training style was a lot different than what uh, we perceive Chad Ashton's to be, or famously what Ben Olson's was. So maybe they were having just a little bit of a of uh, a a of whiplash in like, oh, we've been doing this for a year and a half, and now we've got this whole, whole different buildup to a uh, game for the first time in a long time. Right. I don't know if it's going to be wholly different or if it's just going to be changes at the margins, uh, at least at first for Ashton, because he was... Well, I mean, I, we I think the training... under Ben, but yeah. I don't know what it's been under Losada. I mean, what I would say is it, it's interesting because I've got the, um, the, the league's various stats and whatnot up, and there are some shots logged very early before New England scores that are DC shots. Uh, Edison Flores had one, Michael Estrada had one, um, not high percentage chances or anything, but um, it is funny because like Adam, your impression I think is, is right that DC didn't start the game well, but they did have a couple of like, you know, hopeful looks at goal, but it did feel like they were in trouble uh, from the start. It just, it, they were, you know, New England was having possession in dangerous areas um, they were able to push their fullbacks up. If you if you watch that first goal, not only is it Brandon By scoring on a shot from outside the box, but the player closest to him in a central position is Dewan Jones. Um, so this is New England saying like, yeah, we're in your house, but we're comfortable enough. We're, we haven't seen anything out of you in these first couple of minutes that says we can't push our fullbacks up and narrow um, if, if we want to. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it took that for DC to get going. They needed that slap in the face, for lack of a better way to put it, um, that that um, to to get them fully engaged in the game. It was a really, it, it was a little bit of a strange one. Um, it was definitely worrisome to give up that goal after. You know, Chad Ashton said this after the game too that after the week they'd had to come out, not be at their best, and then give up a goal right away it does tend to set your alarm bells uh, ringing. And I know sitting up at the press box, I was like, oh, this could get bad. Um, that was my gut reaction was that if if they don't have more life than this and they've conceded early, if the Revs sense that they are going to have a lackluster offering, then, you know, it's that classic thing of if you fire the new coach for and you're hoping for a new coach bump and that doesn't arrive, you might just be bad. Um, it might be your problem at that point. Um, but fortunately, they did respond to the wake-up call. Um, and we did see pretty much, I, w- I would say, until halftime, we saw DC United soccer. This looked like the first half against Austin. Um, mm-hmm. You saw effective pressure. Uh, they solved some problems about New England in terms of punishing them for play- continuing to play that diamond that now they've lost. I think it's five out of uh, their last six or something like that. Um so yeah, they they took advantage of those weaknesses that were out there. They made the game more about New England's deficiencies, the risks that they take, and and how open it leaves them. Um, they certainly punished a, a rough game for Omar Gonzalez. Um, I saw some of our Rebs uh, colleagues were basically like, "Why why did he get to start?" Um, and you you understand why. Um, but yeah, the, the Revs are kind of a team in free fall themselves, and they didn't they weren't able to keep a grip on this game in a way that last year's Revs were. Um, last year's Revs, if they got you one nothing in the sixth minute and you were kind of flat, they would pour it on. And instead, this the Revs kind of as much as DC did improve, 
the revs didn't have that ability to go toe to toe during that period of time. They just sort of were like, this is fine. Right. Um, and it wasn't fine for them because they were getting kind of steamrolled. Um, well, uh, from and, there and with, Carlos Hill let the bench know about it for new England. I don't know if you can hear what he was saying from, from the press. I, I couldn't hear it, but I saw him earlier. There, there's the, the clip that's going around. That's very, um, that Taylor Twelman shared that I think a bunch of people shared. Um, but it happened earlier. Uh, there was something else that happened. I think it was after, um, I think someone had gone down for treatment um, and he came over during that pause and was also just clearly livid uh, with either arena or somebody else on the bench. And the bench didn't really have, they let him kind of blow off the steam and then the game was about to start back up. So he went back to position. Um, but anytime you can get a player, uh, you can cause a tactical problem to cause a, player as good and as important as Carlos Hill to kind of blow his stack and he's not really super focused on the game anymore that's pretty good um DC really you know caused them a a bunch of problems that they did not have an answer for and fortunately combined that with the three goals because it would have been real bittersweet if we were talking about well they caused the revs a lot of problems but they ended up only getting in at one one and then they lose on a late goal or something um, it was very important for them to not just outplay the Revs, but also make it count because yes. this team for some of this year, part of their problem has been when they've been in the ascendancy, they haven't turned that into enough goals. And fortunately, this is not one of those cases. As you said, though, there was that late let off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that didn't change from the final few games of Losada's tenure not just a late goal, but a set piece goal. Um, it's, it's a trend that remains worrying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the team is very, I mean, even after the game, as much as they felt um, a lot of relief uh, and all of that, there is still that, like we did let up a set piece goal and we talked about this. So obviously we have uh, still have a lot of work to do. Um, it does kind of take the shine off of it a little bit. Um because this is a team that had already been struggling on that front and probably spent a lot of time. Like the one thing we can't do is be uh, giving up any more of these. And then they turn around and and give one up right at the end. And let's be real. Like they kind of got away. They kind of escaped this game, but the ending of this game really, really could have ended up being three, three. Um, They had a header. I think it was a 90th minute header um, from Adam Buxa that, he didn't do the best job with that. If he is just a little more clinical, it's not a huge XG chance or anything, but it was one where you look at the circumstances and, and there's not a body on him. There's not, it's not a difficult header for a player like him. Um, He was also, I I think he had played kind of poorly early for the first hour of the game. He had been kind of a non-factor and was suddenly energized. He was one of the players that channeled his frustrations, uh, Trolled, trolled the fans a little bit, um, probably got got away with – he only got the yellow uh, late in the mm-hmm. game. He maybe could have gotten more punishment. Um, yeah, though, I will say – For his whatever kind of attack it was on John yeah. Kempen after, the, so, after their goal. So, so John Kempen did say after the game that what happened there was that basically he was like, look, they wanted the ball because they wanted to get the ball back in play, which is normal, and, and I wanted the ball because normally – after a goal, the goalkeeper picks the ball up and punts it forward. So, um, you know, I understand why they were so riled up, but they did kind of grab my arm and pull it. 
um, in a way that wasn't, wasn't super fun. And, and that was not good. Um, so I needed some treatment and, uh, but yeah, he was kind of diplomatic about it all. He didn't, he wasn't too, there was no animosity on his part. It's just one of those things that happens. Um, but yeah, you can't grab a guy like that and, and yank no. on his arm. Um, no. This is this is not that this is there are sports where that's allowed, but this isn't one of them. Right. And um, it, was, it was awful close to his head, too. I yeah. mean, there were people from the in, in the stand saying from their view, it looked like he got hit in the face or in the head, mm-hmm. uh, which any time that that is even what appears to happen, it, it, there, there are issues. But I, I do want to shout out John Kempen for his performance, maybe his best performance in black and red, um, which yeah. or, or green in this case, because, you know keeper uniform and all that but and the team really wanted to shout him out as well i think they were excited for him um it it was a i think it was a he had to be brave quite a bit in this game um especially you you look at the revs the sub they make with um josie altador coming in for justin renix um it's i think the first time all season that arena has played altador and books at the same time because they're both big target guys um and it really was a a very like straightforward we are going to lump the ball into two big target guys and cause chaos, which means a lot of physical play, a lot of physical challenges. And for a goalkeeper, it means when you come out for these balls that you're going to get hit. Um, so it took a lot of bravery from from him to um, get in on a lot of these because it was a lot of pumping the ball into the box. It was very 1990s Premier League. Um, and goalkeepers in the 90s in the Premier League used to get butchered. So... Um, it was a, it was a big challenge for him. And, uh, you know, for a goalkeeper that had a rough year last year, I'm sure it's a big test in terms of confidence because, you know, with all due respect to, to flower city, he had one save to make in that game. He didn't get tested, um, outside of his ability to endure miserable weather. Um, but this game was a test. He had a lot going on in front of him. He faced, I think it's 20, 21 shots, something like that. Um, so yeah, this was a big, a big game for John Kempen in a, in a moment he needed one because we know Hamid's going to be out for a little while. DC just announced Rafael Romo after several weeks of him apparently being around. Um, they announced the signing itself. Um, so he has, you know, if you're Kempen, there's a real challenge to your spot. There's a Venezuela national team goalkeeper um, that DC appears to have hinted to Steve Goff in his reporting that they thought Romo was going to be at least the backup and possibly challenging Hamid for the starting job. So if you're John Kempen, you, this had to be a game where if you're going to stay in the picture, you had to play well, not just for the winning uh, and, and the victory and all that, but also for your own personal status, because we saw last year um, that ultimately Chris Seitz, when he had his moments, didn't do very well. And now he's not with the team anymore. So you know, Kempen's at an age where it's the same kind of, he's not as old as Sites, but it's the same thing where if you're not, um, if, if there's a question mark over you as a goalkeeper and you're, you become the third string on top of that, y- you might find yourself on the outside looking in. So I think this was a long-term, a big game for John Kempen. Absolutely. Um, I do have to question some of the decisions United made that created the conditions for him to be brave in the the 90s Premier League kind of, uh, approach and it was Chad Ashton's choice, choice I guess, to to drop the line of confrontation uh, as the second half went on and just kind of it looked a little bit more like pre Losada United there at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, except that they actually I, conceded there, uh, 
which at the in the best of the those days, you know, it was Steve Birnbaum and uh, yeah, you're taking Frederick the whole Triant. thing I was about to just talk about, Adam. <laughs> okay, I defer to you, sir. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was going to bring up that um, the DC United solution to the set pieces and a low line of confrontation for years now has been somebody like Steve Birnbaum being able to get to any ball and head it away, and that's how. Uh, they were able to defend against so many of these late game assaults, but it seems that for whatever reason, being it um, the uh, defensive system they're currently playing, or be it um, Father Time stalking uh, Mister Burnbaum, it doesn't seem like he's he's not the Superman that he used to be in just clearing everything out of the way. And between him and Bill Hamid, just nothing got through. It seems like they're there needs to be a different kind of setup for where um, Steve Birnbaum is right now. Yeah, and I think one of the things DC suffered from, um, according to Ashton after the game, he did say that they didn't want the line to be so deep. Um, they were willing to lower the line of contention, but they didn't want it to be like this. They said, you know, with regards to the scoreboard, we did kind of want to take uh, um, a less aggressive approach, but that the line dropped much more than they had wanted. Um, and at a certain point, Ashton started kind of accepting that that was the game he was in, which I think if you want to look for a distinct uh, difference between Ashton and Lozada, I think it's this. It's that um, Lozada would have tried to get the team back to uh, maybe maybe a different mindset or, or not necessarily accepting that the circumstances were going to be uh, so much box defending. And Ashton, you you can see from the subs, he absolutely did. You know, when Nigel Bertha goes down with the injury, um, he brings he brought Tony Alfaro in um, and moved. It was actually Brendan Heinzike playing left wing back at the end of the game. Um, so th- they brought in size. Drew Skundrich came in for um, uh, Edison Flores. Uh, so, they, yeah, they were ultimately like okay fine you know the game we're in right now we we it's gotten away from us a little bit uh we're we're facing this bombardment we're not really getting any possession we're maybe a little too uh out of gas to get back on the ball we don't have you know a thing dc maybe lacks a little is just those players that can put their foot on the ball and slow the tempo down they don't have any controllers like that um so they looked at what they had on the table and said okay it looks like we're going to be defending in the box quite a bit. So let's get a team out there that can be better at defending inside the box. Um, And so uh, they did it. Uh, There's obviously is a rocky road. (laughs) Um, They did do enough. If that game had gone 10 more minutes, I don't think that they would have escaped if, if, yeah. um, But you know, that's yeah, that's an alternate history. We don't live in that part of the multiverse. Um, Yeah. It's it's clearly something that they don't want. They don't want games to end like that. Um, but I do think we are going to see a willingness to shift from three four three to five four one. That was that was orchestrated from the bench. Um, it's just a matter of where the line sets up. I think um, is is where they they weren't unhappy with the formation adjustment because uh, it is just it's not a full scale change. It's just a moving the wide players back a tier. Um, and, and the decision to bring Roberta in um, isn't just Estrada's hasn't played that much lately, so maybe he can only go an hour. Um, it's also 
I think a it's he because it's Roberta and Jackson Hopkins coming in and for for taxi. Um, I think it's a pretty clear let's get some speed in. If they're going to open up and pin us deep, then let's go over the top with some speedsters. Um, and it's a simple it's a simplification. I think that's not a a method that Losada would have gone with that would have been so obvious. Um, but it's not to say it's bad. Sometimes it's very good to just have someone who is fast who can chase the ball down. Um, it didn't quite work out in this game. Um, but I do think that 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 level of simplification, it might have been necessary because of the week that they had. Um, I don't know how much they could have gotten done game plan wise when you get sort of rocked with this major news happening. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do to adjust to this situation in the future, because this was good enough for day one. But in the future, the way this game played out, you have to expect that you're going to see more uh, demoralizing. If you if you play out exactly like this, you're going to see more demoralizing leads that become ties. Uh, this team does need to get better at seeing games out in a it, when they get away from pressing, which has been an ongoing problem uh, throughout Lozada's time. This was a problem where they'd get into the mid block and be fine for a little while and then not fine. Um, mm-hmm. And this was the block was a little lower than a mid block, but it's still the same thing where it just wasn't that super effective. Uh, they're good at the first thing that plan A works fine. It's just what do you do when pressing high pressing everyone all the time becomes too much of a risk? That's where DC finds themselves getting in trouble still. Well, we'll see if the, that question comes up and whether there's an answer to it this weekend in Columbus, which we will be talking about right after this break. Stick around. It's filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights. In that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, or, or or something worse happens, Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right, and your rights matter, and you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect, if you uh, if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government, call the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, if you want a free consultation, tell them we sent you. Go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United go on the road this weekend to the ancestral Bromley home state of Ohio for a visit to the Columbus <laughs> crew, who are level on points with United, having played one additional game. Uh the crew have won just two of their eight games. They've drawn three more, uh, which is how they're level with DC United, despite having one fewer win. Uh, they've scored 10 goals and allowed nine along the way. Very kind of middle of the road team, um, which is a little weird because, you know, we've all heard about Caleb Porter's yo-yo streak. He's never made the playoffs 
in consecutive years. He's never missed the playoffs in consecutive years. And Columbus missed the playoffs last year. So this, on you know, by the the logic of patterns, should be a good year for them. But there they are down in 12th with a plus one goal differential and fewer wins than DC United right now. Um, is this team good, bad, both? They they might not be very good. Um, this these last five games, it's it's three losses and two draws, and I believe only one goal scored in those five games. One total goal. Um, yeah, uh, it turns out the the early part of the season they they crushed Vancouver. They won four nothing in season opener. They were up three one against the Earthquakes, and then as everyone might recall, uh, I know we had a good laugh in our. Uh, site slack about this they were up 3-1 and I think they gave up two goals even later than DC did against Austin um, to 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 have that turn into a draw I think Gocalvo had two I think this is that game it's it's not the only wacky earthquakes game is the issue um, <laughs> causing me some confusion um, but then they beat TFC who we know aren't anything special um, and then it kind of gets bad. You know, they have a, a home draw or a road draw against the Red Bulls, which is a pretty good result at this point. And since then, they haven't scored. They've gone four straight games without a goal. Um, so they might not be very good. They just traded Giassi Zardes. Um, they played this last game, um, which was a draw. And Caleb Porter was trying to, you know, underline the importance of making some progress when you're in a bad spell. Um, I want to again point out that I think all of their points, except that Red Bulls, um, or no, they beat TFC. Um, most of their good results this season, still the majority of them are against the West. Uh, they, it turns out the West maybe isn't as good as everyone says, which I wonder who would have said that last year, maybe. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, they drew, they drew Kansas city and I believe the expected goals for sporting Kansas city was like, I think it's 0.28. Um, they attempted three shots in the entire game. That's not to imply that Columbus like smothered them and it was brilliant and unlucky to score though. This was just, this game sucked. Um, this was a hey, real Caleb negative Porter game. Would say that Columbus dominated that game. He probably would. Um, <laughs> he says that about he every would, game. Yeah. He likes to say that a lot. They, they played Lucas Elrion was, um, I guess he has a knock that they thought he might be able to play through. And then it was decided he couldn't play at all. Um, they played three defensive midfielders, uh, to adjust. They sort of pushed their wingers up with the forwards and said, okay, we're going to create by going over the top did not work. They didn't create much of anything either. Um, so yeah, they are kind of, they're kind of going through it in their own way. They're trying to figure out, um, how to get out of this offensive slump because early in the season, they scored seven goals in their first two games. They scored nine after three. That's very good. Um, it's just that now that they've got one in five, uh, you start to think, wow, those other games are kind of the outlier and you guys might just be bad. Um, well, Jason, you know what they're going to do to uh, get out of this offensive slump, don't you? Uh, I don't. I mean, today, as we record, it is the nine year anniversary of the uh, scoreboard fire at Cruz Stadium. So they just need to set the scoreboard at lower.com stadium on fire and maybe that will uh, channel enough energy. Game. They won that game when the scoreboard was on fire. Once it was eventually played, um, so yeah, maybe Ben, you might be onto something. I hope 
if if Columbus isn't listening is listening, uh, don't take this advice. Uh, <laughs> that was really nine yeah. years ago. Nine years ago, yeah. Holy cow, we're we're uh, old guys. We it's really happening. are. I I turned forty since the last time we did this program. That's true. That happened to me. Forty. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, it's not great. I'm not comfortable with uh, that. <laughs> uh, yeah, instead, yeah. let's ahead. let's talk about some changes that are coming to the crew. As as you mentioned, Jason, Jesse Zardes is now a Colorado Rapid. Um, you have to consider that a vote of confidence in Miguel Barry, except that Columbus is also pretty openly trying to land a, a new DP attacker, whether that's a striker or somewhere else up front. Um it's clear that they are trying to make additional moves. Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely, uh, you know, kind of similar to DC, a team that um, found themselves coming through preseason and their roster wasn't complete yet. Um, Especially whenever they made the decision to move um, Zardes on um, and start looking at trade possibilities, which ironically enough sounds like DC. If you remember, they were looking to trade Ola Kamara, who maybe they still are though. It's kind of hard to argue with uh, him having outscored everyone else on the team. Uh, well, especially not knowing what happens with Nigel Roberta. Hopefully, he can come back after right. being removed for a head injury. Right. We you know, we don't know how bad that is. There there was no update after that one, so I don't think I don't think Kamara's going anywhere. I think ultimately this is going to be one where his contract runs up and he probably leaves on a free um, down the road. That's my that's that's what I would bet on at this point. But um. Columbus is kind of in that situation too, where their roster wasn't done and they're still trying to make these additions uh, well into the season. They, they brought in Yaya Boa. DC was linked with Yaya Boa at one point. Um, and he has been fine. Um, maybe this is another situation, not, not as bad as the bullet dodge with Andy Polo, uh, but this might be on the only. Uh, hopefully Yaya Boa is a better person than Andy Polo appears to be. Um, yes. But um this appears to be on the field, a similar situation where you have a player who's perfectly adequate for MLS, but you also could have gotten this player through the draft than through spending one point something million in the transfer market. Um, we'll see. Uh, maybe he needs to find his legs. He hasn't, he's been fine. Like I said, he hasn't been bad. He just, there's nothing real special there. Um, which is what you would say when you take Lucas Zeller out of the equation, it's kind of the whole crew lineup uh, is there's a lot of, yeah, he's fine. Darlington Nagby's still good. Artur is still very good. Um, and then after that, it's kind of like, okay, these are all some guys. Um, Pedro Santos is good going forward. Um, he's not a natural left back, but he is also their starting left back this year. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of adequate with Columbus, and that might be why their results are what they are. You know, once teams got a good look at them those first couple of games in the season once they took their first you know challenging issue which is that you know giving up that comeback against San Jose the combination of those two things maybe has derailed them a little bit uh they they seem to know that they aren't in denial I'll I'll give Caleb Porter credit for this because he's in been in denial about things in the past it doesn't sound like he's in denial he knows the team is playing badly right now and isn't going it's not a like we just need a couple days in training to fix x y and z and we'll be good this is more of a like i think i might have my work cut out for me for the next month or so kind of vibe speaking of um 
speaking of uh, all too all too average, all too adequate, Caleb Porter. I mean, when he he's got a perfect fifty percent record for making the playoffs, and then you know a couple of times he's gotten MLS a perfect fifty percent record is a. Uh, <laughs> I feel like there's a contrast that that we need to highlight. It's uh, it was a choice. <laughs> so, um, speaking of Caleb Porter, he has managed to cultivate an air, a reputation as a stylish, uh, tactically progressive coach. Um, but I, we've talked about on this show, he's much more pro proactive and pragmatic than that would kind of indicate that, that kind of reputation. He, he will let the game get ugly if it needs to, if that's going to give him the best chance to, to win, whether it's the right call or not, you know, uh, is open for debate given his, his record, but, um, that was just a dig to to kind of, I guess, point out that he's got this reputation that isn't totally uh, deserved. I think um, whether that I mean, there's nothing wrong with pragmatism. It's just he doesn't he isn't known for that. Uh, but that also serves to lead into this question: How do the crew want to play in 2022? I think this might be part of the problem. Um, I think they would like to be. Um, the sort of team that is mostly mid block and they extend high press when it's on. Um, I, I think they, I, I don't think they want to be super high risk. I think this is a team that would like to um, be passing into space for their wingers, whether they are, you know, whether it's Yaboa or um, Derek Etienne came off the bench in this last game. Um, but I think they want those guys running in space more than they want um, heavy possession oriented style. Um, but they are, any team that has Nagby and Artur can play that way and can break you up, uh, break you open. Uh, if, if you don't get pressure to them, it's just that they're a little predictable at this point. Um, teams know that those guys are going to see a ton of the ball and you have to make sure that they you don't have to necessarily force them to give the ball up. You just have to make sure they aren't able to turn up field and, and get that half turn where they can progress the ball. Um, once that, kind of starts to be difficult once your structure is right and they can't find those opportunities they start to kind of not have the next step the the next step isn't really there is not like an alternate um situation whether that's building out through a center back instead they don't really have the guys to do that um uh milos uh, degenek the new zealand center back they brought in isn't really that guy um jonathan mensa has never really been that guy they're they're fine on the ball but they're not they're not able to deal with this problem. They can't, they aren't the workaround. Um, Pedro Santos does have the technical ability, but it's tough to build out of the back through one fullback specifically. It becomes very easy to um, pressure that guy as he's receiving the ball and force turnovers. Um, and it, it kind of goes on. I think the approach that they want to to work with is kind of, it's kind of muddled at this point, And the personnel are kind of muddled where, Eloy Room, uh, Artur, Nagby, these guys are all heavy possession players. These are the players that you would assemble if you want to be a team that keeps the ball 60 plus percent of the time. Um, but then when you look at some of their center backs are not those kind of players. Yaboa and Etienne are not those kind of players. Miguel Berry and Jossi Zardes aren't really those kind of players. They can fit into that system, but they're probably better in a more um, 
transition heavy game. So it's kind of a, a real mixed roster that um, hasn't outside of that, that first, uh, what, 135 minutes of the year, they haven't really looked comfortable doing any of these things. They haven't really been a team that can press you for a while. They haven't been a team that can outpossess you for a while. They're just sort of drifting along, um, which is good news for DC to be playing them at this point in time, because they do seem susceptible right now to just not necessarily having any one thing they can fall back on. So the, the one thing Columbus has always fallen back on in recent years, at least against DC United, has been Lucas Celerion scoring a free kick from an impossible distance. Yes. Uh, so I, normally I ask, you know, how do you game plan against this team? And my answer is just don't give up any free kicks in the middle third uh, or in the central channel on, in United's own half. <laughs> Try not to foul yeah. there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and or like encourage Zellerion to take one more week to get over his injury. Um, yeah. <laughs> just just try and reach me. out and t- yeah, talk to him and be like, listen, man, it's only week take nine. Take it easy, um, man. You, you got, you got so much of the season longer left. Longer-term in, in injury, you know, you, you got a long season ahead of you, my guy. Let's take and, it easy this week. And right now, especially, like if, if Zellerion is available for this game, he really is the whole, like with the way that they're playing, he is kind of the whole ball game. Um, If you can bottle him up to some extent, if you can um, avoid giving him too many opportunities with set piece free kicks or just the, the banger from 23 yards that he is, is one of the other things he loves to do uh, against DC. If you can just lower the number of chances he gets to line one of those up, um, you're probably your chances are decent at that point, but you still have to. There's a thing that you have to accept here, which is that Zellerion has been scoring top class goals against DC, maybe more than anyone else in the league in the last uh, that way. like 24 months. Um, and if he comes back for this game, you have every right to be worried because as much as Columbus has been kind of a mess, um, a lot of these games are games they played without Zellerion in the fold and maybe that's it could be a team that's as simple as that where if you add him back in they get some of their confidence back they get some of their clarity and what they're trying to do back um and then you're facing a team that is not i i still don't think that they're good um and they lost you know they lost to orlando to nothing with Zellerion at home so um there are ways to do it it's just against uh, uh, this matchup in particular Zellerion seems to bring his a game so um, I would say for DC, maybe the, the approach here needs to be just accepting that you need, you're probably going to need to go get multiple goals again. Um, don't think that this is going to be a game that can be won on, on one goal, because if Zeller rounds out there, he'll probably score that one goal, the way this series is gone. Um, so yeah, that is, I mean, it's weird to say that one, a team is that that dependent on one player, but the crew right now seem utterly dependent on Zellerion. This is maybe their biggest problem is that it's Zellerion and that's it. Um, no one else, they've got some capable players, but Barry is a perfectly good um, forward in MLS. I think he's perfectly capable of scoring, of getting over 10 goals this year, um, but that's on a team with Zellerion, not on a team without him. Um, once you take him out of the fold, you get real 
it, it, the options get real thin. There's not not a lot of creativity. Um, there's not a lot of variance in the type of player that's there. Um, yeah, they have real problems. So um, the lineup is going to be really interesting. And, and, you know, keeping tabs on what comes out of Columbus in the next couple of days media-wise. If uh, um, I, I think this last game they said they listed him as questionable and it really was a a genuine maybe he can play, maybe he can't. And then they got to the stadium and we're like, okay, he, he can't go today. Let's just, let's leave him out for one more week. Um, which points to him returning. Uh, that's the bad news. Um, but maybe they take a look at it. Maybe they hear us talking about how the, uh, I don't know what's happening here. Um, how they, maybe they take a look at the schedule ahead and are like, look, maybe we need one more week for, for Lucas to come back. Um, so that's, if you want to know how this game is going to go, I would honestly point to like, you know, look around for some people that cover Columbus and try and keep tabs on press conferences. Because if we hear that Caleb Porter is doubtful about Zellerion's status, or if it hasn't really budged, then that's really good for DC and really bad for Columbus. Yeah, definitely uh, keep an eye out when lineups come out on Saturday. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about before we call it a night? hearing nothing. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to uh, another episode of Filibuster. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us at patreon.com slash filibuster if you feel like throwing a few dollars our way. Most weeks we will have these two segments in separate episodes and our Patreon patrons get early access to the preview portion of that. So if you want that little perk, then patreon.com slash filibuster is the URL for you. Find us on Twitter at black and red U at filibuster DCU at Jason DC soccer at Bromley soccer at two zero two AMT for our personal accounts. Send your emails to filibuster podcast at gmail.com download, subscribe, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, spread the word, tell a friend about the show. That's always uh, a great way to help us, uh, you know, literally spread the word. So for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Uh, big shout out to Congressional Soccer Match goal scorer Sebi Salazar, uh, the only hey. person I believe to play in this game. Uh, or actually, no, the other person that's been on this show that's played in that game uh, is Ben Olson, and I haven't seen him having a goal yet. So Sebi might have bragging rights because, uh, at least a filibuster guest, and perhaps because he's a filibuster guest. That is the longest goodbye, Jason, I think yes. I've ever heard. But we'll get Sebi on the show to talk about it. Goodbye, Sebi.